Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, and welcome to From Queer to Eternity, a podcast exploring what it means to us to be queer. My name's Scott Hancock, and every episode I'll be chatting to a different guest from the LGBTQ community, talking about their lives, experiences, and what queerness means to them, and hopefully discovering just how much we all have in common. Due to the nature of these conversations, certain themes, phrases or experiences discussed may be upsetting for some of our listeners, but generally we're here to celebrate queerness in all its forms and have a good time sharing our stories. This episode, I'll be chatting with... Thea Cochran. Hello Thea, welcome to From Queer to Eternity. Thank you, nice to be here. So I'm going to ask the age-old question, what does the Q word mean to you? Oh... (laughs) It's kind of an umbrella term to cover sort of everyone that isn't necessarily straight and cisgender, I think. But it's a kind of glorious rainbow of people. It, yeah, it, sometimes um, people have not liked using it as a way to group someone because they see it as othering. But it's it's just a way of saying I'm talking about these people, not necessarily these other people. Mm. It's a kind of woolly label, but it's a handy label when you need it. And how would you sort of define yourself within that umbrella then? Oh goodness! Like because it's woolly, queer is quite a good word to use. Mm. Because I mean, within there, I'm kind of I'm I'm trans. I would hesitate to describe myself as a lesbian, but I am technically a woman in a marriage with another woman. So mm. that's the label that would often get applied. But but queer kind of just enables me to bypass the debate about what other words specifically would apply. Yes, and especially with labels, they change what they mean sometimes. So like bisexuality was a thing, then people said pansexuality is better because it means that you're not just looking at only males and only females. Mm. Um, And it's just, I find labels are helpful when you're trying to describe where you are, but to actually know someone, you just have to know them. Yes. And and before we get into your sort of queer experience directly, Mm -hmm. tell us a bit about your sort of background. Where did you grow up? What was your sort of childhood like? Well, like the first nine, ten years was kind of in a small town in central Scotland, and then we mm. moved out into like a very much more rural area. Um, so I was kind of was two miles from my primary school and about six miles from my high school. So was, there was a, always a sort of distance thing going on there. So it wasn't like I was hanging out with all the other kids in the evenings. No. Because um, there weren't many other kids around. So I'd spent a lot of time just messing around with sound and music stuff, which has stood me in quite good stead. Mm. It was also the 90s. Yeah, I didn't graduate, I didn't finish high school until 2000, so it, Section 28 was happening. We didn't hear a lot about stuff apart from via the TV and the media, really. I, I, don't, I certainly don't remember any other people at my school who were out notably that I knew of. Did you, at that point in time, have any sort of queer experiences or, or did you have any inkling? Well, I didn't really, I wouldn't have had the words to describe what it was. Mm. So I had this idea that, I don't know where I got it from, it's kind of disturbing, it's something I actually covered a bit when I did some therapy. There was a book that I heard read aloud on Radio 5, back mm. when it was partly a children's station, I think, 
and it was called Bill's New Frock by Anne Fine. It's kind of written in allegory to describe sexism and the way we treat boys and girls differently in a sort of typical classroom experience in the UK. And the, the first sentence of the book is, when Bill Simpson woke up on Monday morning, he found he was a girl. And I remember just thinking, how do I make that happen? That sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, like at the age of like eight or nine. Um, but simultaneously from somewhere, I'd got the idea that it was also a shameful thing to tell anyone else this, that you wanted to do that. And I'm trying to think where I would have got that from. It could have been like newspaper headlines. It could have been from, and um, there was that documentary, A Change of Sex, that I don't mm. think I properly watched, but I got the idea that it involved being sad and having doctors shout at you. Yes. <laughs> I think the media has a lot to answer for in terms of those late 90s, yeah. early 2000s. And, and obviously, like, even at school, gay and words associated with it were being used as a pejorative mm. and, and sometimes applied to me, even though it didn't feel accurate to be honest and I wasn't sure what I was just that I wasn't like all the other folk that were seen to be into sort of football and WWF wrestling and yeah I was quite distant in general so I thought that was just me rather than it being anything else and when later on I found out about trans people and how all that went I thought well it would be nice but I can't make it happen magically and I don't want to have to tell everyone and come out and go through the whole in-between bit I just want to wake up tomorrow and for it to all be different which is kind of selfish, but... No, it's not selfish at all, I think. As you say, particularly in, in that sort of period, there wasn't the language necessary to describe what she might have been feeling. Was there ever a point where, because sexuality and gender for so long was often sort of conflated, was there ever a point where you thought, maybe I'm gay or...? Well, I had bits of that, but also, like, it's, it's complicated in, in terms of psychology because you start thinking, well, am I thinking about having a romantic situation with a man because that's what girls do and it's like the ultimate mm. way of of proving that you're, you're a girl is having a relationship with a man or, or woman rather and then you start th- trying to unpick that and whether like you're just seeing it as an accessory yes. almost i haven't always i haven't exclusively ever been ex- only attracted mm. to women i'm in a relationship with a woman now but like i didn't have many relationships going through high school like i wouldn't have lots of girlfriends or boyfriends or anything i had sort of one girlfriend near the end of high school and then didn't really have relationships over university and stuff just because i didn't feel like i was in a stable enough place to be Mm. what i thought someone else wanted my university situation was kind of unusual because i was mainly living with a straight woman and a gay man so we were kind of hanging around the outside of the lgbt scene anyway and that was quite interesting just to see oh this is what it's like it's Everyone's kind of welcoming and cool and like there's the same sort of mix of people that you'd get in any other situation. You've got some people who are very geeky, but some people who are sort of jock type of mm. person. Yeah, it felt very welcoming and open and I didn't feel uncomfortable there particularly, even though I was sort of presenting as a straight guy at the time. I wasn't ready to... Um, I, I thought once I started telling people, you can't say, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake, I, I want to go back yes. again. Um, so I felt like I had to be completely sure before I told anyone. And that's that's not a great situation. And I think it'd be great if, um, in general, people could like mess around with stuff and try things out for a bit and go, I'm going to try this. I'm not sure, but um, see what happens and see if you feel better or worse. And if you feel worse, you can mm. go back again. But I think we've got a situation where people feel like when they come out, you that's it and you can't change your labels again after that. Yes. I mean, it, it sounds from what you're saying that you almost found your community before you realised it, it was your community. Yeah, a little bit, I think. 
and and also like I, I mean I've always been on the sort of geekier side of things, being interested in sort of sci-fi and fantasy and and music technology. It seems to be a thing as well. There's I didn't know this until much later, but there's almost a cliche of like trans women being into music tech or trans women being into computer programming or or mm. that kind of thing. There's a, a strong co- and and apparently part of that is a result of people who don't really want to mix with the wider world and so spend a lot of time at home in their own heads a bit. And and I, I don't know how much of that was like me imposing it on myself and deciding no, I'm just going to stay in. And me being in that situation where I was living somewhere rural and couldn't easily go and hang out with all the people I went mm. to school with. You spoke as well then of, of, of sort of not wanting to date or anything because you felt you couldn't offer people what they might be after because you yourself weren't quite sure what you were offering, I suppose. Yeah, I, st- I just felt a kind of disconnect that was just like all these people seem to be having either one night stands or like longer term relationships. And I was just like, I don't feel like I can do either of those things from this position. I'm just not, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, I couldn't articulate what it was, but it just felt wrong. And so when did you start to, I, I suppose we're already at university, but when did you start to think, actually, I'm not sure I'm comfortable as I am? I do remember like spending a lot of time, you know, as a teenager, if I was blowing at birthday candles or something, that that would be my wish is like, can I just wake up tomorrow and be a girl and have no one remember that things were ever different from that. And and that's the way I kind of wanted to do it. I didn't want people, I didn't want to go through the process of coming out and telling everyone and, and dealing with people's reactions to it, I think. Mm. Um, I didn't feel equipped for that. And I thought being separated from, from other people at school and stuff meant that socially I wasn't bothered by it because you just go to school and you do school things and then you come home again. And I wasn't feeling sort of unduly put in any kind of odd position there. At university, it's got a little bit different and you're hanging out. I mean, I was living in halls for the first two years, so I was seeing these people all the time and getting a sense for like the different ways that people can be men or the different ways that people can be women. Mm. And also just experiencing some of the LGBT plus community for the first time, hanging out with um, my flatmate and going to some stuff that he was doing. So it literally sort of opened your eyes from sort of quite a remote rural upbringing and suddenly being presented yeah, with... Yeah, and, and I mean, I don't want to hammer it too much because I'm sure statistically there must be... I know there were people at my school who were gay and I, there might have even been other trans folks, but I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't stay in touch with lots of them either because I kind of moved around the country. But I mean, I grew up in central Scotland. I did university in Leeds. I worked for a bit in Bath and then lived for a bit in Birmingham. And, mm. and, and now I'm kind of working in London. So there's kind of a, quite a small pool of people I kept in touch with in all that time. But yeah, university, I started thinking, okay, what if I just like try buying some clothes and see how that feels? Because again, living rurally and not driving, I couldn't really buy anything without the rest of my family being aware of it. Yeah. So I thought I would just experiment a little bit. But I think eBay was just a thing then as well. So I ordered a couple of things off eBay and just to see, okay, what does that feel like to wear different stuff? Um, and experiment with that a little bit and from the point of view of what came later that was probably the best way to do it of like experimenting in little bits and then saying okay how does this feel does this do I feel ready to progress to anything else Mm. so after university I ended up living with my parents for a few years and I was working from home basically I was doing um, remote work almost exclusively audio drama but also some little bits of music stuff for people and some amateur theatre stuff so I was doing sound effects for a local theatre and again it's a similar thing of like I was in the gallery and not visible but I was helping everything happen at the right times and stuff. And that was a weird situation to be in because I had this little bag of clothes that I was just keeping hidden out of the way yep. that I wasn't really doing anything with. And I was exploring on the internet and chatting to people who were more out than I was and starting to think, how could this go? Well, how, how might this work? If, if I decided to go forward with things, what would be the next step? But also I'd met a woman online that I was really interested in 
hanging out with and meeting up with and like we would meet whenever I was not doing a project we'd go and hang out somewhere either she'd come up to Scotland or I'd go down to where she was living and she'd been a friend of a friend um, as I finished university so it's kind of awkward that I'd then gone back to Scotland and we weren't anywhere near each other mm. um, and I was thinking oh how's, how's that going to be like I, this might be going somewhere and would I be detonating it by saying oh by the way I might be trans I'm not sure so I ended up being really sort of methodical and systematic about things and I went to what's called a dressing service um, it's essentially someone who has a big selection of clothes and stuff and shoes and some hopefully some expertise with makeup and you go there and they basically give you a kind of makeover and you can see what you look like and some people do that and then go for a nice out and some people just do that and get some fancy pictures taken and I just thought well I want to see what I could look like given all those resources and I didn't want to spend lots of money on makeup and clothes and whatever else and then go oh I bought the wrong thing so I basically arranged to go and see this person um, during a daytime thing and I I went and she helped me select some clothes and then did my makeup and I, I tried a wig on to see what I'd look like with long hair because I didn't have long hair at that point and the answer is I basically look like a bit like my mum oh, right. <laughs> not sure if that's what I'd expected or not okay that's a thing and also I had some pictures where I could sort of look at them and go well that's that's a possibility and and also it was the first time I'd sort of articulated some stuff out loud like said this is what I'd like to try and like figuring out you know, what size I would be and that kind of thing. Yeah, just going through the mechanics of that. I mean, I mean, that sounds like a very sort of vulnerable and exposing position to put yourself in. You must have felt really brave to go to someone you didn't know and say, can you help me sort of find myself? It's a weird situation because I think also, like, she's probably dealing with lots of people who are coming for lots of different reasons because I'm aware that some people cross-dress and it's like a sexy fun time thing. Mm. Um, and, and that wasn't what I was feeling. But, I mean, again, part of me going to her and having that experience meant that I could kind of reassure myself, oh, that wasn't like exciting from that point of view at all. Um, and it wasn't just, oh, this is cool. That's interesting. It, it was, it was more resonant mm. and, and it gave me the thought that I, I, that and talking to other people online made me realize that like, even if it was just put that in massive quotes, cross-dressing, it's not something that goes away. And I talked to lots of people who, they realised that dress, just dressing up from time to time was all they needed to do to be perfectly happy. But they realised that having gone through the cycles of getting rid of all the clothes and stuff that they had, then having to buy new clothes and stuff when you wanted to dress again, um, that it would carry on happening. So I decided that I would have to tell this person who was fast becoming my girlfriend because mm. we'd started talking about maybe moving in together. And another thing I'd observed is that relationships break up when you're a long way in before telling someone something like that mm. and it's not even necessarily about being trans or, or i'm going to carry on using crossdresser and people have used transvestite in the past as well and i don't want to accidentally offend anyone with labels that was just the label we were using at that point yes um, as you say the language didn't exist to the extent it does now yeah language is elastic and we make it do what we want but that's that's what we were doing with it at that point i felt i had to tell this person that was fast becoming my girlfriend we were talking about moving in together that cross-dressing a little bit and it might be more than that so mm. that if she needed to run screaming at that point, at least like we haven't moved in together, we haven't got married or anything like that. And that's what I did. And she was the first person who I knew that I told. And she didn't run screaming. I mean, we had a, we had a weekend where she had lots of questions and we kind of were just going around doing normal stuff like going to the shops and every so often she'd just think of another question that she wanted to ask about. Like, oh, how, how would this work? Because mm. I, think, I think everyone has an expectation about what their life is going to be like when they're a kid. and. It might change a little bit as you get older, but 
you have this idea of what life's going to be like. And if it ends up being a lot different from that, it can be a bit strange. Yes. And coming into a relationship like that might be the kind of thing where it's like, this is not what I expected at all. And some people would very much not be okay with that, which is fine. If you need, if that's not a quality you want in the relationship you're having, that's fine. Mm. You're not tied to that as a content. And it's not particularly phobic or anything to break up with someone and go, this isn't a thing that I, that I find attractive or I, I, I'm put off by this, which is some people's response. So yeah, I ended up in a situation where I was out to my partner and we were living together, but I wasn't really out to many other people. Hmm. And then I was suddenly aware that what I'd actually done is rather than coming out, I just pulled her into my closet. Right. Yes. Was there a sense of treading on eggshells around other people where you had I mean, a little of... bit, but also like it, it didn't matter most of the time because I was, I was carrying on doing remote work for people. Hmm. So I wasn't really out doing stuff and mixing with lots of people. Yeah. I got the feeling like, oh, just doing this might be fine. This like, Dressing up occasionally at home might be fine. And I felt a bit emboldened and some people I knew had said, oh, there's a, there's a night out that happens regularly where they have a sort of trans night at this particular bar hmm. in Birmingham. And that would be a great place to go out for the first time if you fancy going out and trying, like, just interacting with the world a bit and see how that goes. And that was a scary moment because, you know... Um, oh, you're in Birmingham for a start. Well, this, oh, Birmingham's great. No, the, 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 that area, the, the gay part of Birmingham's very cosmopolitan. I mean, it's next mm. to the theatre district and it's, there's, there's parking very nearby. So the situation was, we were, we were, it was very easy to get a car and go almost next to the venue we were going to and park and then just sort of duck across the road mm. in my case. And that was, yeah, that was an interesting experience of just being out and, and chatting to other people who were at various stages of the same thing or not. A lot of times cross-dressers and trans people end up in the same sort of ball together because there's a lot in common. Yeah, some people are happy just to cross-dress occasionally, go out sometimes within whatever limitations they've got in their relationship. Perhaps maybe they've got a partner who says, you can only do this, you can't do this. Mm. And other people try it a bit and then think, oh, actually, transition's the thing I want to do. And for me, it was quite a slow process. So having gone out once and knowing a few people and then suddenly knowing a lot more people perhaps from having been out started to find out about events like the big thing that happens in Manchester when we aren't in the middle of a pandemic called Sparkle which is sort of a few days of mainly cross-dresser focused events although I think there's some again trans is in there but it's kind of mainly focused on the cross-dresser end of things I think Mm. so we went to Manchester and met with loads of people that I'd only seen on the internet before who were awesome types and some of them in a similar situation to us which was really good because it meant that we could talk to other people who were in a marriage and also on the trans spectrum somewhere. And and that's good because you can often, I know that when my wife came with me to um, the place in Birmingham, she'd often get a lot of comments from other people like, oh, I wish my wife could be more like you and supportive and come out as well. And so she felt a bit like a sort of unicorn in that respect. I mean, it, it is quite incredible finding someone, I mean, generally in life, just finding someone you can, oh, you I can share this and with. I, I feel incredibly lucky, but there's other stuff going on there. I and mean, I don't want to do the full biography of my of my wife but um yeah she's fantastic and yes um i'll, I'll leave that there but yes what i find interesting is in, in these early days you must talk about keeping it to yourself and that apprehension of how yeah. the wider world would view you yeah there's not there's definitely an awful lot of thinking i remember thinking in some um like friendships and stuff or oh, maybe they wouldn't like me anymore if they knew this about me mm. i think the first time i went out it would have been like september or october kind of time because it was darker in the evenings and i could just dash to the car without the neighbors seeing me kind of thing but i wasn't sure i wasn't sure how that was going to go either to, to sort of summarize i started out 
just dressing a little bit from time to time, then tried going out, then went to like a couple of days of event and met lots of other people in a similar situation, some of them going in different directions or in different timescales. And then chatting more with those people and figuring out kind of how I felt in relation to that. I remember very distinctly because I'd started, maybe this had something to do with it actually, I'd, I'd been exclusively working remotely and all the people I was interacting with from a work point of view were on the end of email. Mm pretty much. And then um, for the sake of getting a mortgage and stuff, I did some teacher training and I went to a college for um, a few weeks and, and then did a placement which turned into a job, um, which turned into more of a job. I mean, I, initially I thought I will do teaching a few days a week and that will mean I've got regular money coming in and getting a mortgage will be easier. And the thing of being even at a relatively liberal college, which is where I was teaching, I would start to worry, oh, what if going out in Birmingham might not be an option now? Mm. Because what if someone finds out? I mean, it's not out of the question that one of my students might be experimenting with their gender or their sexuality or even just going out in the gay village because it's an awesome place to go. And what happens then? And I started to think, I, I think I did, I was in a night out one time and I had a minor panic and just thought, I can't go out like this. I can't stay here. There's nothing to stop anyone who might know me from coming in. And that's a terrible position to be in. And I just, mm. um, at that point, I decided to tell my manager at work that I was on this what I was increasingly thinking of being a journey at that point and just to let him know that if anything happened, if anything was reported, like I didn't want that to be something someone else could have over me potentially. So I was kind of bypassing it by saying, just so you know, this is a thing. Hope that's okay for now. It's all that, but also feels quite um, resonant again as a gay man that you almost enter these situations apologetic. Do you feel the landscape has changed over the last decade or so? I'm, I hope it has, but also I can't deny that my perspective has changed. Mm. As you've become more comfortable in yourself. Yeah, right? and, and also as I've, as I've taken more risks, I suppose, without even really thinking about it. Mm. So having sort of nervously told my boss at the time that I was probably trans, but I wasn't going to do anything more than go out occasionally at that point. Later, I felt like I needed to do more than that. And at that point, it became a very difficult situation because I'm, I'm teaching classes of, of young people. And I start to think, well, OK, how's my typical day going to go? I'm going to have to get up and make myself ready and get on the bus and walk through central Birmingham and teach people music and try and have them concentrate on what we're doing and, and not let it be a distraction that mm. I'm looking different from the way I did the previous year or whatever. So that was that took a bit of work to kind of get my head around, OK, how could that how could that even go? I'd been teaching for a couple of years when I went to my doctor and said that I'd like a referral to the gender clinic to ask what the options were basically because I didn't know what medically was possible no via the NHS or, or even via private clinics and how was your doctor and um, the doctor didn't shout at me although the first doctor <laughs> didn't actually give me a referral right because I'm not entirely sure why he came out that meeting thinking I didn't really want one I was fairly sure that I'd asked for one but he didn't it didn't go through and at around the same time I started doing therapy um which I applied for myself hmm. and the point of doing therapy was basically to think Am I trans enough to make it worth coming out to everyone and going full time, as it's called, which is just like living? Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, but it, that's where it's been called when I've heard it anyway. So I'd started doing that all around the same time and that, that got quite intense. <laughs> Was there anything during therapy that you realised about yourself you hadn't anticipated? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a gestalt therapist, so it wasn't like a gender specialist, although he had some knowledge about that. I think he was a gay man himself, actually. Mm. Um, and... He had some sympathies about some th some of the stuff I was dealing with, but yeah, it was interesting to kind of examine my thought processes and like what I'd been doing and what might be different. One of the things um, 
I'd seen in the press there were a lot of people who were against trans people in general. Yes. And I'd seen also there were a lot of people who were against LGBT people in general. And I thought, they're all going to hate me without even Knowing getting you. to know me so, at all. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's going to be a default position. And like, how do I feel about that? And then realised, well, actually, there's going to be a lot of people who are like, oh, you're Scottish. I don't like Scottish people. They met a bad <laughs> Scottish person one time. Or you're, you've got red hair. Don't, I don't like people with red hair. Um, and so like, there's all kinds of dumb reasons that people will take against other people. And I would rather that happen for being me than for being bad at pretending to be someone else. That's a lovely way of putting it. So... That's a big part of what I got out of therapy. And also it meant that by the time I actually got to see someone at a gender clinic, I'd done 18 months, two years of therapy. Um, and that's a big help because mm. they know that you've, you're not messing about at that point. I'm Tilly Steele. And I'm Helen Monk. And this is Bitchin'. I'm dyslexic. Yeah, why do you read the word you do the It's good to practice. Yeah. A podcast where every week we talk about a different person. So how old was he when he first popped on the scene? That's a great If question. you say he was my age, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking die. And we veer wildly off track. Pop that Prosec. <laughs> Available on all your podcast apps. That's not my... Can you not say er in the advert? (laughs) Available on all your podcast platforms. Just search Bitchin' or Great Big Owl. We'll see you there. That was all right. (laughs) Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So it sounds like, from what you're saying, that the therapy was extremely useful. Yeah, and there's a lot of giving yourself permission to do stuff as well. You're thinking, I can't do that. That's like I don't know where the impulse came from, but I have a lot of like, oh, I don't want to be too much trouble to other people. And mm. and, and, and and when you're having to go to your bank and say, I need to change all my cards, and you're having to change your passport, and, oh, I'm sorry, can you just change this account around, please? You have to you have to just ask lots of stuff of people. But it's, it's fine, because that shouldn't be unreasonable. No. It's just because we've been brought up in a very heterosexual cis world. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And also the the thing of not being able to really go stealth. So I kind of assume as I'm travelling on the train to work or whatever now that anyone who sees me probably tags me as trans. Although I understand from a couple of people that that's not actually the case. And I appreciate that if you're just listening to me, my voice isn't fantastic. I don't like my voice very much, but um, visually, apparently I do better. I'm trying to think if there's anywhere else I was going with that. Yeah, gender clinics and stuff being what they are, there's a very long waiting time. Even 
a few years ago when I was waiting. Um, so by the time I actually got seen for what was going to be an exploratory what's possible kind of question session, um, I'd already changed my name and I was living <laughs> I, I, was, I was living full time as a woman, as he put it. Hmm. And, and so, yeah, I'd done a lot of the work before I even got there, to be honest. Um, so social transition is something that anyone can do um, by themselves. And it's just changing your name by deed poll. And then you can get a letter from the doctor. Now, generally that happens after seeing the gender clinic, but this doctor was quite happy to just write a letter saying that I had an appointment and then this was likely to be the path I was on. And that enabled me to get a passport changed with my new name. And from the passport, I could get a new um, driver's license. Oh, yeah. And, and also having to come out at work. That was quite an experience. So, yes, you, you, you're socialising and now living as a woman. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and that involved, like, from the college point of view, I had to, to chat with someone at HR. And then awkwardly, that person was about to have a baby. So they went on maternity leave for about a year. And, and we came up with a plan for how things were going to work. And then also the senior management at the college changed. Right. It was quite a fun year. <laughs> but yeah, we decided to do it that I would um, tell the other staff what was going on. And then it would be an over the summer thing rather than a coming back after half term or coming back after a weekend. Going, yes. Hey, so fresh start, <laughs> fresh as week sort of thing. Yeah. And also, I mean, uh, the way the college worked, it was a, it's an FE college. So only a small percentage of the, of the students come back every year, I think, relatively speaking. So mm. there's a fairly new group of people who didn't know me before and obviously had to make sure that the other staff had enough knowledge to deal with any questions that they'd get because I was fairly sure that if you're that the students wouldn't be asking me the difficult stuff which is weird I would have been fine with it but I appreciate that would be socially awkward for them so what I ended up doing was telling other staff individually as much as possible weirdly I got a lot better at coming out the more I did it Mm. and it's a shame because the people you end up telling last are the people that get the best experience (laughs) yes so uh, what I learned to do is not not to info dump and tell people lots of stuff at once because after the first bit they tend to stop taking stuff in. Mm. So the best thing to do is tell the bare minimum and then let people ask questions. And it might be that they come back with more questions a few days later and that's fine. But um, yeah, so I told the other staff and then we had a vague plan for how things were going to work. And I think I think we had the training in time. So the lovely HR person did arrange for someone to come and talk about stuff. And because we were also facing a situation where we had some um, students who were expressing an interest in in messing with gender a little bit as well and we needed to be ready for that happening as well Mm. so we kind of had to write a trans policy so I was kind of writing a policy for how the company were going to treat me and students who were like me which is a bit of a weird place to be but that was fun the responsibility of that as well well it, it was weird because the previous year I'd ended up, I'd gone from like teaching a couple of days a week to basically managing two courses, Mm. um, which is why I kind of stopped doing audio drama for a bit. And I'd had a student come out to me as trans and I was in a position where I couldn't go, hey, me too. (laughs) Yes. Because again, that would just be pulling them into my closet rather than being of any benefit to them. So I, I was able to point them in the direction of like, okay, these charities are pretty helpful from what I understand. And what do you need from us? basically making it that simple Hmm. rather than freaking out, which is what I think they expected. So, yeah, that was interesting. But it it made me feel increasingly like I have to be able to be out so that these people know that they are not alone, basically. I was being a terrible role model by hiding it. I mean, I'd argue that you're you're not obliged to be a role model for anybody, but it's it's brilliant that you felt you were able to. Yeah, that sounds very close to a conversation I had with my therapist at the time. (laughs) But I think you're right. There's, there's having been through these sort of things ourselves. You often want to be able to give something back to someone you know will be going through similar struggles. 
Yeah, and also I'd, I'd read about like um, a trans young woman in, in America who'd, who'd committed suicide very sadly, and she'd been a music student, and I just thought that could have been one of my students. And I was just kind of thrown by that for quite significantly. So yeah, there's a lot of like intense feeling stuff happening as well as me having to, to do all the normal day-to-day lesson planning, teaching, marking stuff. Um, so yeah, there was that summer where um, I left work one evening and we went to a, a bar and, and, and a bunch of my friends came and some people from work came as well and um, signed all the name change certificates because that's what you can do. You don't have to go to a lawyer's office and do it. You can just, as long as you get the wording right, you can write your own deed poll, which I did. And I did about 10 of them. And then I got two witnesses to sign them. And then we had cocktails and some dinner. <laughs> can I ask, where did the name Thea come from? Oh, the name thing is really weird. Like trying to pick a name for someone who already exists mm. is a very strange situation. So like for the sake of using the internet and chatting to people, I'd, I had a different name, but we were all agreed that that name didn't actually suit me like full time. I, ha- I wasn't thinking of a name that people would actually call me out loud at the time. Yes. I was just look, like, I need a name to use on this website. So I remember distinctly driving to Scotland. I think it may have been for Christmas and it was after I came out to my parents and chatting with my wife like what kind of name would work and we tried a bunch of stuff and I wrote things down and then I talked to my parents and what they said was that what had been important for them was the meaning of the name and not because I'd done all that stuff of like looking at the top 10 names in the year I was born and going okay what was the female equivalent number whatever I like that methodical yeah well I mean I'd, I'd there are a lot of names that wouldn't have been suitable for someone my age. Like, I was born in the early 80s and no one was called Kylie then. Kylie Cochran, that could have been a very no, different that wouldn't have. <laughs> oh, another alias. So my parents said the meaning was the main thing. And then we looked up lots of names that had similar meanings. And Thea was one of them. Hmm. And that's basically, oh, that seems to work. And it like works in a bunch of other ways too. Again, one of the things that my parents have been trying to do is specifically pick a name that none of my relatives had, so they couldn't be accused of like naming me after anyone. Yes. And, and Thea held up there pretty well too. So yeah, that's where that came from. And it means it's, um, it's not a name that can be shortened, which is quite fun. And what people <laughs> tend to do is lengthen it for fun instead. To what? Like occasionally I get called, um, uh, one of my colleagues often refers to me as Theodora, which oh, is interesting. Of yes. Yeah. Basically my parents helped me pick the name, which is very good of them. It sounds like they were quite supportive. Were they, did they respond um, yeah, well? Yeah, that, that was a really nervous time because I, it was getting to the point where I was thinking, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to be transitioning this year at some point. I hadn't decided it was going to be that summer at that point. Hmm. And, and I was going through, I, I was being very methodical about it, actually. You, you called it that earlier. Um, and I was thinking, okay, every time I see someone that I need to tell, I'll try and tell them in that situation at that point and then... I've told them and I, I had this little list of names in my phone of people that I'd told so I could remember who I'd told so I didn't end up coming out to someone twice because that was a danger. Yep. And I thought because of how far away from my parents I was living and even in Birmingham I was like 250 miles away from them. Mm. I thought if this doesn't go well I, I won't be happy about it but it's not actually going to make a huge difference to my day-to-day life and that's one of the things of coming out later in life is like well I'd be sad about it but it wouldn't it wouldn't change my months around. It would change my years around a lot. But um, And I don't know why I thought it might go badly because my parents are fantastic and they've been very supportive all the time. And unusually, I'd been up visiting them by myself without my, my wife there. I think mm. she was working or something. And I made the moment because I'd, I'd come out enough at that point to realise that you can't just wait for it to come up in conversation because it never will do. No, because no one's expecting it apart from no. you. Well, hopefully, and in my case, like I think, I think most people I told were surprised 
One person refused to believe it until I showed them a picture. But yeah, I think we'd been watching TV and I said, right, I've got, I've got, I've done, did that thing of like making myself tell them by saying, I've got something I need to talk to you about. And mm. we put the TV off and, and I told them. And then again, I'd learned by that point, just tell them a couple of things and then let them ask questions and we'll figure out stuff as we go. I don't know if they read any more about it or did more stuff after I told them, but they were, they were great. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. Yeah. And were you married at this point? Yes, I got married in 2013. And, and that was a weird situation because I was out to a few of the people that were there, but not everyone. So like my parents didn't know at that point. My brother didn't know, but my partner's sibling did know. And the minister who married us did know. So actually, there's loads of stuff in the wedding service about how marriage have to be able to accommodate change. That that is significant to you, yeah. knowing, but yeah, uh, um, and that was that was lovely. the The wedding thing was weird though because weddings are so highly gendered, and I hadn't <laughs> transitioned at that point. So my my wife was kind of getting fed up with a lot of the stuff she was having to deal with that I'd have been perfectly happy to deal with, mm. and that was an interesting situation to be in. Yes, it's it's interesting as well what you say about seeing your life as a, a child going down a certain way. And I think a lot of people sort of imagine, you know, getting married or kids or, or whatever, traditionally. Yeah. But, I mean, your, your wife, at some point, she suddenly went from being heterosexual to effectively lesbian. Yeah. and Which I'm guessing she hadn't really expected <laughs> happening when she first well, met you. Her, her sibling is a lesbian and non-binary. So before I'd come out or anything... They're they're living with their their partner already, and they'd planned to get married. I think the year after us, mm. so we're kind of just slotting in before neatly, and that that helped. I think because it meant that as a family, they'd already done some of the work of like having someone come out and being well. Okay, it's different from what we expected, but that's okay. But that thing of ex- expectations of how a life's going to turn out is almost doubly for parents. I think because you spend all that time with them, with your children, imagining what their life is going to be like, and then suddenly they come out, and it's not what you expected so i think a lot of parents have difficulty dealing with that but you can't anticipate anything in life no you can't but what's lovely is is hearing about how you met and that the support <laughs> and then the marriage and everything is it's it sounds like a union very much based on the individuals and then the people yeah and, and that's, that's definitely how it feels um and we are talking about possibly retaking our vows like once i'm further through with transition and stuff i don't know what the actual line would be Mm. Exactly, but we even if it's just having a party and doing some new pictures, to be honest. Oh, any excuse for a party <laughs> post-COVID. Oh, especially after this last year. Yes. <laughs> so going back then to the, the gender clinic. Yeah. How was that experience for you? Because you'd had your therapy and sort of, I suppose, mentally yeah. prepped yourself for it, but then suddenly you're confronted with someone who you can finally ask the questions of. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't entirely sure what it was going to be like, because as, as early on, the only experience I had was quite an aggressive stance taken in that, in that documentary that I'd seen. Mm. And it wasn't as bad as that. But I, you hear all kinds of stories about people who mark you down based entirely on your presentation. I heard a horrible story about a clinician in America who wouldn't basically pass anyone unless he personally fancied them. Oh, goodness. Right, OK. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it, it wasn't like that, I hasten to add. But the queues are very, very long. So like, by the time you get to actually speak to someone, I, I'd done a fair amount of the work myself, to be honest. Mm. Almost so that you could just go in and blast through it to speed stuff along? or Well, a, a little bit. There was a sticking point. but Because um, by the time I went in, it was kind of, well, I'd already changed my name. I'd already um, 
was living as a woman and I'd already done a lot of documentation stuff mm. and and it was just kind of well I've, I've taken myself this far I'd like to do some of the medical things which is um, hormones and in my case testosterone blocker and I wasn't sure at the time whether I want to do surgery or not but mm. we'll figure that bit out later so that's kind of where I was at and I wasn't I wasn't just going and demanding hormones but um, that's kind of what I was pointing at and, th- and the mm. system is you have to have three appointments before they'll prescribe anything and my doctor had made it very clear that he wouldn't prescribe anything until he was told to by the gender clinic. So I had to just wait in line and do as I was told, basically. So the first appointment by myself, talking to them and telling people things about myself I'd never told anyone. So they ask you all kinds of very personal questions about things like how you feel about yourself. They give you I had a map of the human body and had to rate how I felt about each part, which I don't think anyone would come out of entirely happy. No. Um, maybe some people would be less critical than others, but um, yeah. And then talking about your desires in terms of other people, your desires in terms of yourself. And yeah, lots of material was covered in that one hour discussion. And my second appointment, my wife came with me, which they wanted. And we both ended up talking. So it was about whether I was supported, whether she knew. Because I imagine some people might get to that second appointment and they haven't actually come out to their partners yet. That my parents knew was a big help as well, I think. Mm. And you see two people at that one. So that I see the person that I've seen the first time and then saw a different person again. So they, there's two people coming up with a with an opinion about where I'm at and whether they agree or not, or whether they put me forward for something or not. The slight sticking point was fertility. Obviously, I'd be putting myself in a position where I couldn't have kids mm. long term. And we had to be sure that that was okay or not. I mean, I'm not in that position yet myself, but it's it would be increasingly difficult to have children the longer I stay on the hormones, basically. So that was something we had to talk about. And we asked for a little bit more time to figure that out. So I think things would have gone faster if we hadn't done that. But I mean, we needed to cover that ground. And, and there's options. You can get sperm frozen, but mm. then that's complicated as well. It's invasive at both ends of the process. And you have to be, you know... It, it may not work having done all that. So, yeah, there's lots to think about. And we, we were taking it seriously, as as you should. <laughs> Take, taking your time, as you say, it, it feels like a, a lovely, slow journey of discovery, but one where you've been comfortable every stage. Yeah, and, and, and that I'd taken it so slowly. So I was able to present like a timeline going, well, here's where I first tried dressing and here's where I went out for the first time and here's where I spent a whole weekend. Because that, that weekend in Manchester was really big from the point of view of like, we just went to the shops in the daytime which I'd never done before and yeah it's just like trying this out does this feel better yeah it does okay what's the next thing and it's got to a point where I'm kind of happy with my life most of the time mm. there's a there's a slight aspect of being a faff like if I just want to go to the shops and if I still feel like I should go out with makeup on if I'm doing that kind of stuff more from me feeling like I've got I'm less likely to get read as masculine although okay. I think I, could, yeah. I think I'd probably be okay but what with one thing and another, I haven't really been able to have a lot of like facial hair removal. Hmm. It's just a thing I'll need to get to that hasn't been able to be done by anyone for much over the last year. Yeah, I'm dealing with all that stuff as best I can at the moment, but it just slows things down a little. Before I wrap up, I was just mm-hmm. curious, is there anything you wish you'd known back when you first started exploring yourself that you know now? Or as I say, it sounds like you've been comfortable with yourself for a long while, but there's still a sort of work in progress. It, it's weird that like it, it didn't feel like an urgent thing until I was interacting with other people face to face. And that mm. makes me wonder if like my experience of gender has been like who I am to other people and how I see myself reflected and how they treat me based on how I look rather than working remotely via email. And I wonder 
what the knock-on effect might be. So maybe a lot of people in the last year, when a lot of people have been working from home who wouldn't normally be working from home, what that experience might have been like for them of like not having that feedback based on how you look. Mm. It's going to be really interesting. You mean in terms of they might have permission, you think, to present a different way? or Yeah, or, or there might be a lot of people going, oh, I don't need to do all this stuff that I've been doing in order to be me. Mm. Or, or are there people going, I, I feel like I'm not doing my gender properly unless I'm doing this. So hopefully a lot of people get to examine themselves and go, oh, I don't need to do this thing that I've been doing, or I do need to do this thing that I hadn't been doing. Yes. Yeah, looking back on myself, I think I wouldn't have been ready to come out at school. Mm. Definitely not. And certainly not in that environment where no one really knew much about anything like that. I kind of wish I'd been more bold at university and felt able to do something then because that might have been good. And also it would mean that I'd be further along with everything now. <laughs> and and I, mean, I am in the weird situation where I've got credits like on IMDb and stuff under both names and trying to get all that united is a massive pain. I was going to say, I, I, I meant to ask about sort of dead naming and that sort of phenomenon. <sighs> I'm kind of just resigned that anyone who wants to Google me and find out what my name used to be can probably do it, mm. but it's not the name I'm using now. And I even signed a bit of paper saying that I would stop using that name. So yes, yeah. Do people still occasionally use it? A bit of people you well, no, presumably not because I don't for... really know anyone who. I'm not really around anyone on a daily basis who knew my dead name. It's going to be weird. I mean, I haven't done any like convention type stuff i think i only did one convention before but obviously i'd be signing stuff that's got my dead name on it mm. in the main presumably that just feels like a completely different life now um a little bit but it's like still me in my head it's mm. just oh yeah that person forgot about that person it's it's more it's really nice when people can change stuff so like big finished productions were great and changed my name on all the credits on their website mm. but like I worked on a, a couple of things that were released on Blu-ray, no, on DVD rather. Um, and like it, once the credits are rendered and baked in, it's quite hard to unpick that. And I don't think I'd, I'd have the guts to ask someone to please, you know, change all this just for the sake of my name. Mm. I did work on something when I was a student that got re-released on vinyl, and they didn't change anything because they didn't know, and it made me wish that I'd contacted them and told them where I was at with things. But um, there are a couple of funny things. And I'll try and be really quick about this. Um, on IMDb, when I got my name changed, they accidentally took someone else who had the same name as my dead name and they changed their name as well. <laughs> oh, no. So you're you're thrashing it out between you to just... I've, I've, pulled, I've pulled someone with me into the other... Yeah. Pulled them into your non-closet. They, they can work it out, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It's been so lovely oh, thank you. sharing your story. Like the rest of our guests in this series, I really appreciate Thea agreeing to take the time to come and talk with me today. I know we said that would be the last episode in the run, but we do have one more lined up when a guest interview will be turning the tables on me for a special bonus edition next time. As ever, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at queer to eternity if you don't already. And if you've enjoyed our conversations, please do leave us a rating review online. Until next time, thanks again for listening.
It's an S-Pod thing. The podcast revisiting S-Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge-watched this, anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly, <laughs> truly appalling. Guests helped me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase sex object in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think, do you think this one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S-Pod thing from Great Big Owl. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.